Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media production. Energy efficiency and net zero. Part two. Brought to you by Smart Futures. The latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization. Visit smartfutures.org.uk. I, I guess that <clears throat> with um, the, the, the cost of energy going through the roof, the payback period for installing technology is, is shrinking quite rapidly. Is that is that the case? Uh, 100%. Um, yeah, so one of the things, you know, we're doing is actually going back into the energy audits that we've done in the past and looking at those, you know, where perhaps it didn't quite make the grade in terms of the payback for the um, customer. And all of a sudden, you know, they're very relevant and, um, and people want to do those as quickly as possible. It, it, it's an absolute no-brainer at the moment. You know, I reference like rooftop solar, but we did our first project in 2020 at the, during the pandemic um and it was a five-year payback by the time i did the next project in 2021 the first project will pay back in three and a half years because the bowel went up again and then that also brought my second project to a payback of three and a half years and then the the third project that we're just starting now the payback is was going to be seven years because we'd already got 250 kilowatts on the roof and this so the winds are not as great but it was the right thing i felt as the because I want to, you know, demonstrate the technology, but now the prices have gone up again, and that's brought that payback period down. So I think anything, you know, well, we went from not that long ago we were paying ten p, and it had been that way for a long time. Now it's twenty one p, and that's secure till next April. But I'm talking to my broker, so I'm selling my solar power at the moment, so I'm <clears> negotiating <throat> that contract. <clears throat> He's telling me it's between 30 and 35p on big you I'm like it's just and and I'm hopefully secure a contract today selling my excess solar at 19p which is un, blows my calculations out of the water it's it's yeah you know, it's it's unheard of you know I could have never thought this 2 years ago no i mean do, is is it i mean has anybody brought the crystal ball with them i mean is 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 the price of energy likely to fall again at some stage? You know, could we could we go with these really optimistic payback periods and then suddenly find that uh, energy is plentiful again? What, I mean, what we've done, Andy, is looked at it over the two years, which we think we can understand the power prices, and then put the power price back down to a, to a mid level um, moving forward. Because we did all our costings originally on a zero increase in power. The justification to make it as worse because we hadn't seen pre 2020 we hadn't seen power increase prices for probably five years and the solar boys all put in a like a inflationary rise and i was like i'm not i'm not agreeing to that because i don't see that and then three years later the prices are three times as high so i think yeah you have to be err on the side of caution i think yeah. within the period of a payback andy you know for a typical major installation I can't see it coming back down. I mean, yeah. obviously anything's possible, but right now, you know, these look pretty solid investments for anybody who mm. wants to do that. And the, you know, obviously what we're trying to do is push, help people to get to net zero, but the, 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 the economic path, you know, is what is the first point that people look at and they, 
probably mm. the net zero is secondary, unfortunately. Gareth, can I ask a slightly technical question? That motors inherently are pretty efficient. All motors are pretty efficient. Is it the control that, from my understanding, that makes it much, much more efficient? Um, well, motors are getting more efficient. So, you know, they're going yeah. from IE1 was the kind of old traditional motor. The, the minimum standard right now is I3, and that meets, you know, a certain level of efficiency. But actually, there's still more to go. So um, ABB have a product called SynRM, which is synchronous reluctance motor, yeah. which um, allows you to actually go, well, save 40% of the losses on a motor. So it allows you to actually save a lot more through that. But isn't IE3 like 90-something percent efficient? So you've only got a little, you've only got, it's not like you're going to yeah. double. No, you're right. But 1% efficiency, you know, yeah. if you think of the, think of an electric motor running a dust extraction fan in the quarry, like the example I'm looking at here. You know, that motor will be running probably most of the day. It might even get left on. You know, you'd hope that they'd be turning off. But that motor will run, you know, a large number of hours per day. And 1% energy saving, you know, is actually a huge in yeah. impact. So, yeah, you're right. You know, the, the 94, 96% energy efficient. Yeah. But if you can get to 98, you know, you're, you're yeah. making a big difference. But I think the most exciting thing to all the people listening is what Marie said is, the most efficient light motor is one switched off. You know, you, you, if you go from 96% efficient to 97, I've gone from 96 to zero. That's like, I try and explain to people in the factory, it's great, the lights, that's why, you know, it's great to have more motion sensitive or on timers or different things, isn't it? It's, it's sometimes yeah. the, the things that save the most money are the cheapest to implement. Well, it's... Yeah, actually... Yeah. You know, sometimes just putting a little bit of logic around a motor to say, you know, if something's been put on the conveyor, you're going to run the motor. And if nothing's on the conveyor, you're not going to run it. You know, it can make the biggest differences. So it's, um, Gareth, can I, can I ask you something very quickly, Gareth? Just uh, could you explain a bit more about energy recovery systems from drives and how that potentially... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So your, your standard um, AC drive is a unidirectional device so in, in other words it'll put power onto the motor and then if there's power coming back off the motor because you want to absorb energy or you want to break it very quickly yeah. then typically that'll get put into a braking resistor for example which converts that energy into heat now the best way to solve that is actually to use what's called a four quadrant drive which is it's almost like two drives back to back where it can then transfer the energy in either direction and so they're, they're becoming more and more common and then the the other advantage of those kind of systems is that you reduce the harmonic content. So when you use the drive, you, you create some potential harmonic disturbances on the supply network because of the way in which it absorbs power. And so as you start to use four quadrant drives, then you actually put the power back onto the network in a very, very smooth linear way, which reduces harmonics. And actually at ABB, we've got a, a unique solution for ultra low harmonics, which, which achieve that goal also. So, Gareth, does that work like our regenerative braking in our car, basically? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and do you see that as part of the you know as part of the mix, really? That is, is really going to be very <coughs> serious, me, um, helpful to to. Yeah, and it's it's very application dependent, Aaron. So, if you look at a typical fan, you know the ability to pull motor off that fan back onto the network is very very limited. You may want to reduce harmonics, so you may install that system for the reduction in harmonics that you can achieve but the ability to save energy through taking energy from that fan back onto the network is going to be very limited okay. on the other hand if you looked at an elevator 
you know, where every time it goes in a certain direction with a certain load, it's going to have excess energy that you can put back on our network, then yeah. there's potential to save energy. I'm, I'm just thinking in CNC machining, you know, we make some parts that might have 20 tools that are running at a relatively high speed in a five-minute cycle time. So you've got to ramp up and ramp down lots of times. You could be, I'm just thinking of the reference to the car, you know, as you brake, you charge it up, we could be doing exactly the same thing on that CNC equipment. Is anyone doing that in industry yet? Well, typically what you do on that is you, I'm guessing they're probably little servos on that system. Or quite servo big drives. servos, some of them, yeah. Yeah. So generally what you do is you'd, you'd connect those through a common DC bus so they'd be able to share energy across all the drives on that little system rather than to put it back on the network. But putting it back on the network is absolutely possible. Yeah. How many um, motors are now, you know, controlled by drives? Um, I mean, I know that we've had, we've had a battle, haven't we, all, all of our careers really since your hair was brown and mine was on the <laughs> top of my head. There was always this battle, wasn't there, of... of, of of, of motors just running without any control attached to them. It, it, how, how far down that sort of obvious line have we got? And if I'm honest, I don't, ha- I don't know. But um, mm. my feeling is there's still a huge number of motors that are direct online or Star Delta starter based. Yeah. You know, even maybe over 50% would be my guess. But um, if I can get a good answer to that before the end of this call, I will do. That, that, I mean, that would be an absolutely massive contributor, wouldn't it, to, to energy efficiency in manufacturing parts? Yeah, providing you can slow them down. Yeah. Mm. You know, or, mm. or upgrade the technology of those motors to higher efficiency motors. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe this as, is the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. As, as long as you don't, people sometimes use drives unnecessarily. Because if, if you can run a, a something direct online and you always need that full capacity, there are obviously losses in a inverter drive isn't there or a servo drive so if you and obviously there's a higher cost but if if you need that variability but if you don't need the variability it's probably unnecessary yeah the, you you actually need only a very very small amount of very you know if you can slow a motor from 1500 rpm down to 1400 rpm for example for a fan the amount of energy savings that you can achieve are enormous you know just that at the it's a um, square law in terms of the energy usage so the opportunity to save energy through very very small adaptations is enormous so generally you can save energy okay it's probably then time now to move on to will's um presentation um now i mean, I mean normally um journalists like myself and aaron reel away when we think we're going to get some information about a company profile um but actually, in your case, I think it's going to be, it could be particularly interesting if you just tell us a little bit about what yeah. you do and why you do it and then lead into the, uh, the data-driven side. Yeah, so um, I'm Will Bridgman, Chair of Warren Services. We're a 32-year-old family manufacturing business based in Thetford, Norfolk. You know, started in our garage by my parents with three employees. We make, we're a contract manufacturing company. We now employ 125 people. So a relatively small company compared to someone like ABB, but we really, we make products for people around the world. We, we bring other people's great engineering and sales to life. We're the, we're the, we're the manufacturer behind them. We, we take our sustainability in a big picture very, very seriously. You know, we have a very big apprenticeship program to bring the workforce of the future through. You know, it's not just about carbon sustainability, but what I'm going to talk today is more on that side. Um, we've done all the things that Marie was talking about. You know, we've, we're now putting up our first third solar project. So 
we're going to have 825 kilowatts of solar on our two buildings. And actually, with that third installation, that particular factory, that solar will produce as much power as we use in a year, in a year, but just not at the right time. More in the summer than we need and not enough in the winter. But next year's investment, we're looking at a big battery as well, which won't be seasonal, but we'll do as much as we can. We've also, the compressed air, it's as if this has been put together, one of one of the first things we did probably 10 years ago was invest in the change from fixed speed compressors to variable speed compressors. Because what people fail to realize is, you know, in an industrial setting, compressed air eats energy. You know, it's unbelievable the amount of power. We shop blasting. So we're a, we're a full service business. We do CNC machining. We do laser cutting and folding. We do welding and assembly. We do our own painting and shop blasting. Shop blasting uses a lot of air. And when you look at our power use, you know, that air to blast it. So it's probably half the power we need in the factory. But we've also insulated our buildings. We've changed all our fleet bar two to electric vehicles. So we've now got uh, 10 electric vehicles and we've got two combustion vehicles left. We've got biomass heating. And I know biomass is not zero, you know, but it's a way of us reducing our gas usage and we use uk produced wood pellets and they're not being shipped over from canada even though actually the shipping from canada doesn't make that much impact on it but we won't argue about that um we've changed all of our lighting in our factories to led when we first changed the lighting years ago we looked at we looked at led but it wasn't ready so we used the most efficient tube based lights but with motion sensors and daylight sensing because back to marie the most efficient light is a light that's switched off. So if it's sunny, you don't need the light on, the light off. If no one's moving around, turn the light off. And, and what I've learned is the more you can automate the light turning off, the better. Because people are busy. They're thinking about solving engineering challenges, not switching the light off. So, yeah, that's made a real business. Actually, we're now in a phase of changing the lighting in the office, which... The payback is not great, to be honest. It's about 10 or 12 years because our lights are pretty efficient. But the quality of light, is it better? You know, it doesn't flicker. It's more even. So there's there's multiple benefits to a lot of the sustainability things and carbon reduction stuff we're doing. But to talk to the data piece, we made a decision when we put the solar on the factory, we needed to understand what the solar was doing. And luckily, our contractor, who we've now used three times, said, should use this solar log system, which is a German logging system. But when we put that in, we also started monitoring our incoming power through the same system. So we could look at the overlay. And very quickly, we we didn't we learned about the solar, but we also learned that hmm, we're using a lot of power when we're not in the factory. Ah, that's because someone's left the compressed air system on. So then we looked at putting timers in the compressed air system, which was great. But then when people wanted to work a Saturday morning or overtime, they'd have to go in and fiddle with it. And then they forgot to put it back on again. So then we built this simple control, which controlled the compressors without anyone touching the compressors. And if you want it to come on for an extra hour, you press a button and then it turns off after an hour. So we stopped that as a problem. But then we realized, ah, the biomass hopper, that needs air to load itself about every eight or 10 hours when it's cold. So then people said, oh, we need to bypass that and leave the compressor on. So we're back to stage one again. Then we oh, a little bit of simple control. Let's get the biomass to talk to the compressor. So if the, if the 
biomass wants to load, it turns the compressor on for a quarter of an hour. So it's this system, but also we, we, we're looking at the data and I was showing a friend, look at the amazing solar production we've got today. And it was a bank holiday Monday. And he's like, why are you using so much power on a bank holiday Monday? And I'm like, yeah, that's not good. So we actually went into the factory and obviously the compressors had turned on because it was a Monday. It didn't know it was a bank holiday. It's not that clever. So we, we went in the next Sunday and looked around and realized we had a particular piece of equipment that we didn't, in the big scheme of things, when everything was running, we couldn't see, but it was the breathing air for the people at Spray. And that uses quite a lot of air. But, and, and when we bought it, there wasn't a more efficient system. But actually, after some investigation, we were able to put a dew point switching on. So it only used air when it needed air to sort the system out, which then saved us £20,000 a year. So, but that was through the data from the solar. So it's this sort of mosaic of information. So I'd say if you can add a little bit of intelligence to anything that you're doing to give you this insight, it's amazing. You know, the, the solar did what the solar did, but then informed us about the power we were using in the factory, which sorted out the compressors running when they shouldn't run and the biomass and the breathing air. So I think, you know, we've got sometimes this freely available information or information that can be acquired quite cheaply, which can help us make great decisions. Like I said earlier, we measured our carbon footprint. The big thing was electric. We've installing our own electric generation, green energy. The cars, they're really fun. They're very tax efficient. You know, all of the great things there. But actually, it's it's. The big thing for us now is looking at removing the gas heating from our 30,000 square foot. And it's great for Marie was saying, and we're looking, I'm looking at a combination of heat pump, solar thermal and storage. Storage is going to become one of the most important things moving forward, whether that's energy, energy as in electrical energy or heat energy, you know, with variable energy prices at the moment, most factories get day and night rate. That's going to change. I'm telling you that now. In five years' time, for large energy users, there will be a completely different market, like we see at home with on with Octopus. So we have Octopus Go or Agile, where you get half hourly pricing. You know, yeah, that that's that's for my takeaway. Storage, storage, storage. We need more storage. Right, that's enough for me. This talking industry episode is brought to you by. Smart Futures, the latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization. Visit smartfutures.org.uk. That's very good. Chris, I mean, I mean, there was a, a lot of discussion on um, uh, compressed air there. I mean, uh, it must strike uh, a chord with you. Well, you've done very well here, Andy, to try and tie this in like it does, because, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many times do you walk around a manufacturing facility during the day and there's all sorts of noises going on and then somebody goes in on the weekend when nothing's going on and all they can hear is hissing left right and center everywhere and they're wondering why that they've maybe when they first built the factory they had two compressors and they're now five six years down the line they've got four compressors and yet nothing's changed in the facility yeah. and they're wondering what's going on here and the appreciation of cost the cost of energy and that how much energy compressors require and they consume and that carbon emissions 
relevant to that as well. It's huge. So yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's nice to have somebody else from Norfolk on the line as well. That's uh, <laughs> I'm based just 20 minutes north of Will. So uh, maybe I can have a chat with him at some point yeah. in the future as well. <laughs> and I think the thing is with compressors, with, with screw-based compressors now, they're very efficient. You can't make them much more efficient, but you can by turning them off or not letting them leak. Absolutely. When we did the shutdown, we heard so many leaks we didn't know we had. So we went through a let's fix all of those too. So yeah, it is it is fascinating. One quick thing I'd like to pick up on on Will, I agree, automate what you can and to make it easier to make people efficient. But it is also useful to have sustainability in people's minds. I personally believe you won't have a sustainable business if you don't have a sustainable culture. So when the other day someone said Ed, that uh, uh, something had been uh, declined because um, someone in the business had said, oh, Marie won't like that. I viewed that as an absolute win because people are beginning to think, oh, sustainability, yeah. sustainability, sustainability. It's obviously due to your uh, your effects within the business. It's very easy for me. It's my business. I own the business. So I, I but when you, you've got to influence a massive organization and like Gareth was saying about a sustainability manager. But I think if you look at what's happening in big, big companies, you know, like S&P 500 in the States, that that role is becoming very, you know, people like BlackRock, you know, they want to see what's going on. So I think the time the times they are a changing. I think people are investing in those roles and the question is, you know, are they, are those roles senior enough in the organization that they can actually make the changes and influence, you know, so they've got to be able to, as you said, Marie, um, they've got to be able to influence purchasing, um, yeah. you know, the engineering teams to do the right thing. Yeah, I think absolutely one of these things we talk about all of these different drives and ways we do things and it's the same with almost any sort of initiative. The biggest blocker or challenge is culture culture change people do not like change and the problem is, is that you can have as many of these sort of roles in these positions in these large companies but that's one part of the ch of the chain as such and you need all people in that chain to be solid on the right way of thinking to be able to make these changes and be able to promote this through and make a, a good effort from it and culture yeah that is the biggest challenge i think with these things is, is that a particularly british thing you know because i, I we, we took Talking Industry up to Birmingham during the Drives and Control show and actually did it with a live audience. And um, uh, there was an Israeli panellist who said um, he found that its fear of change is, is, is prevalent in the United Kingdom, which is something he doesn't see in Taiwan, Korea, Germany, even France, he said, you know, that people are more willing to embrace change and is that something we've got to fight harder at? I think it's definitely something we need to engage with and fight. I mean I find that half my job is just communicating everything we're doing as much as I can and asking people for their ideas and input and making them feel as involved as possible. Um, and actually I have a very very engaged workforce. I, I think brilliant. Yeah I think the energy prices and the impact on people at home is helping. Yeah. Not that's a good thing, but people are like, oh, power's quite expensive. Where before it was quite a small part of the most people's household budget, all of a sudden it's it's like everyone's talking about the cost of power and the cost of um, gas. So I think that's going to make our jobs easier in a way. 
I don't think I, I buy Andy that UK people are any less open to change than anywhere else. I think you know you see conservative groups you know who resist change in any culture, um, and I think it's just giving them the right you know the right incentives to do the right thing. Yeah, I hope that's the case. You know, it's it seems to be a problem with um, robotics as well, doesn't it? And uh, you know, some of your colleagues, Maria, are often talking about that. And um, yeah. you know, in terms of the installation of robots per, I think it's a hundred thousand employees. You know, specific population of robots is is embarrass embarrassingly low. Um, and but, you know, but I think you know that could be down to the um, the employment environment in which we operate you know we've got far freer employment environment than france as an example where mm. it's much more difficult to to, to manage your your um, workforce mm. I, I think also it also depends on the mix of what you make we make low volume products which we're working with the mtc on on robotic automation at the moment it's very they were like this is really hard you know, because we don't make very many of anything. So actually, you know, maybe the UK mix is less volume. So the Germans, if you're making, you know, you talk to Germans sometimes, you want a, a, a gearbox, they're like, it's eight weeks and it's in black and you can have this one. And I'm like, but I need it in six where well, you can't have it. So I think we can be a bit more agile sometimes, but obviously that comes with less, you could call it efficiency, but, you know, that there's different ways of measuring different things, aren't there? I think it's difficult unless you're comparing apples with apples. Do you think, do you think there's, there's, an, there's enough um, promotion on the commercial benefits to, uh, to manufacturers? You know, because we've, we've talked about, obviously, the, you know, the benefits, the environmental benefits, but in order for that to actually happen, like everyone's been saying, you, that, the message also needs to come across about brand awareness, you know, that companies need to be seen as well as I know it's a dirty, dirty word maybe to, to talk about the commercialization, but it, 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 companies do need to be seen um, in the future to be doing the right thing. Aaron, you've got you've hit the nail on that. That is what's going to drive it forward. I was at British Sugar yesterday, part of AB Sugar, the world's one of the largest manufacturers of sugar in the world. And their plant, they use a lot of power, a lot of gas. And there, I said to the guy, I said, you starting to get, and I said, you could imagine if you were supplying Coca-Cola, they might want to make a net zero product. And he's like, funny you say that, that actually, you know, they're getting pressure now from, you know, they're huge. You know, we, Coke or Nestle want to make a, a carbon neutral Kit Kat. So it's going to get, you know, my, my driver for all of this is, I want to make a difference in my business and in my industry. So I want to do it and then show people what I've done and they can copy it. And I've done the learning and gone through the hard work. But also for me, if I want to attract the right young people into my business, they've got to believe I believe in sustainability. Otherwise they won't come and work for me. It's particularly in the job market is it at the moment. And also we're going to suffer regulation at some point. You know, I don't want to be told what to do. I want to do it for me. And then also our customers at some point are going to catch up and start demanding things like customers do, don't they? And all of a sudden, and I want to go, yeah, this is what I do. And they go, oh, great. So we're already seeing, I think the building industry in particular is starting to push on that thing because they have quite an impact. So I think, yeah, definitely, you know, um, Aaron, it's the if, the, if you want to win the work and the customer demands your, you know, PAS 2060, people are going to be PAS 2060, like ISO 9001, 14,045, all of those things. So 
I think, yeah, it, that will be the thing that moves us forward probably quicker than regulation. You're already seeing some of those asks coming through the supply chain. We've had um, customers come to us sort of like, oh no, our main person we supply wants no plastic in their packaging, like next week, what do we do? And it's sort of all these kinds of, of queries you're beginning to see that that ask for help so. but then marie do you get frustrated with that with these big companies going oh we don't want any plastic and actually the the solution yeah. they want is worse no mm. one's done any proper analysis like plastic is the devil all of a sudden you're like it's ridiculous yeah. plastic's really good at things like this cup that yeah. i've used a thousand times is made out of plastic what don't that, get me started yeah <laughs> it's, it winds me up people that not uneducated, that's a rude thing to say, haven't done the analysis, you know, properly. So I, when I'm talking about this, I, I always say single use is evil, not the material itself. So moving away from single use where you can, obviously there's going to be things like medical and stuff where you're going to need it. But at home, balance of, of supply, cat food, right? You can get it in pouches or you can get it in tins. At the moment, those pouches aren't recycled, so I get it in tins. But if they were consistently recycled, it takes less energy to recycle plastic, less energy to transport plastic, you know. So the balance would be different, but it depends what's available in terms of the UK infrastructure in our case. Yeah, well, maybe we should we should have another uh, webinar on the, on the benefits of plastic. Maybe <laughs> nice. I, I think I, we're probably all on the same side. I, I think coming back to the original question there, though, you know, about how companies, you know, promote what they're doing. I think that's, I mean, that's not the main aim, but part of the energy efficiency movement allows people to to show that they've made a commitment to um, decarbonize the, their operations, you know, and, and the other benefits flow through from that, you know, in terms of sharing best practice. Mm. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Smart Futures, the latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization. Visit smartfutures.org.uk. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned for part three across all podcast apps. Follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at Talking Industry dot org.